had a bit of an enforced sabbatical, so I've been doing a bit of um, tidying up, cleaning up, and I found this little notebook. It's only a little thing about that high, that wide, and it is from uh, my father's house when we cleaned up, and uh, it, it's a little little penciled notebook of, of things that he was writing down uh, during his years as a POW in Java. And there's all sorts of things in there. There's statistics on deaths. There's statistics on how many calories they got and how many vitamins and what vitamins they got. Little uh, funny little anecdotes such as how to pack and smoke a pipe, which I found hilarious, actually, given the background of, you know, when this thing's written. But I hadn't noticed before there's a poem in there. And I'm going to come to the poem today because that's what I want to talk about. But I'm going to start in Hosea chapter 4. And we read in verse 6, this heartfelt cry, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. But thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. It's this thought, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We're living in an age when people confuse knowledge with information. Information is not the same as knowledge. And information is definitely not the same as wisdom. And the prophet Hosea gets this. It's really the Lord speaking through Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The lack of knowledge of God's will. You know, sometimes I hear... A folk you hear sometimes young folk and not so young folk say, oh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what God's will for my life is. Well, I, I would suggest that's a no-brainer. That's pretty easy. God's will for our life is that we should glorify his son. But I think the question that we're meaning to ask is, I'm not sure what my will for my life is, meaning I don't know what I, don't know what I, want, to, what I, <clears throat> I don't know what I want to do with my life. And that's a fair question. I think every 17-year-old has been confronted with that question. And the wonderful thing is God gives us liberty to choose. You might want to be an electrician. Maybe you want to go to uni. Maybe you just want to be a mother or a father. That's it's a big, wide world. And if we've been blessed and anointed by the Holy Ghost, God's will is that we should glorify his son in whatever we do. And we're all born with different talents and skills and aspirations, and that's what makes it a wonderful world. And here the Lord is bemoaning, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't know my will for them. They don't know my will of the part that they should play in my plan. And so they're destroyed. Now, I don't suggest for a minute that anyone here today is being destroyed for lack of knowledge, but sometimes for lack of knowledge of God's will and the lack of knowledge for your part in God's plan, because you have a part in God's plan. We've just heard testimonies of two folk who wouldn't have thought they'd have had a part in God's plan. And many of us can relate to that, and yet we have. 
And Christian folk can sometimes hold themselves back from the full blessing of this life for not understanding the part we've been given to play. It's not as if he's just saying this to random people. He's talking to his children, the children of Israel, and he's specifically saying to the priests who should have known, you've rejected learning. And we have saints who have reached a good old age. We've got a sister who's going to turn 105 on the 4th of July. She doesn't come to meetings because she can't get out anymore. And she received the Holy Ghost at 94. Well, how many people received the Holy Ghost at 94? Well, maybe not a lot, and maybe there's a reason for that, and that is maybe a lot of people, a lot of humans through their middle years closed down. Disappointment. Life hasn't worked out quite the way they thought. Dreams don't seem to have been fulfilled. And instead of moving through their middle years with energy and vitality and vision and hope and dreams, remember what it says in Acts chapter 2, the prophet Joel, your old men shall dream dreams. They allow their heart to be filled with disappointment. They drink from the waters of disappointment and bitterness, disappointment in their own life, disappointment in people around them, not understanding that they could have a part to play in God's great plan. And so there's so much unhappiness, you know, in Isaiah 55, just quickly, if I can find it quickly, Isaiah 55, verse 2, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your time or labour for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. You know, in verse 1 it said, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters, and ye that hath no money, come ye buy, eat, come ye buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do, why do you spend your money? Why do you spend your effort on that which is not bread and on that which satisfieth not? That's because of not understanding the will of God. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 8, we read in verse 20, the children of Israel uh, are said to have lamented that the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And there's a great irony in that. The harvest is past, the summer is ended. It should be a time of bounty. It should be a time of feasting, of festival, of blessing. We've built the barns, we've filled them with grain, we're ready for the winter. But here they are and they're saying, but we have not been delivered. And what a tragedy for a Christian to go through life and to feel within themselves, not as if they've necessarily lost their salvation, but the blessing of the Lord's been slipping away from them. Their dreams are no longer being dreamed. Their aspirations are just evaporating and they've given up and maybe it's because of focusing on the activities of daily living and Jesus never pretended for one minute that we shouldn't work and we shouldn't work hard in fact next week we're going to talk about hard work we're going to talk about rest there's a reason we rest there's lots of reasons we rest we'll do that next week the Lord wants us to be productive people. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, 
what does it say? I'll see if I can think of it before I can remember it. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, his mind is stayed on thee. Contrast that to someone who doesn't understand their part in God's great plan. So I want to read you this poem. Now, this poem was found on the body of an Australian soldier. So this was found somewhere 1942, 43, possibly as late as 44, more likely 42, 43. Have no way of knowing whether the soldier wrote the poem or whether it was a poem that he took with him into battle and he, he found it a source of inspiration. Anyway, this young man died and they found this poem on his body. And this is how it reads. So as I read this, just try and remember the backstory. This young man took this off to war. This young man is heading into the most troubled and dangerous time you can possibly imagine, one that cost him his life ultimately, and he took this with him to sustain him. Ye that have faith to look with fearless eyes beyond the tragedy of a world at strife and how that out of death and night shall rise the dawn of an ampler life. Rejoice. Whatever anguish rend the heart, that God had given grace, sorry, that God had given you the priceless dower to live in these great times and have your part in freedom's crowning hour, that ye may tell your sons who see the light high in the heavens their heritage to take. I saw the powers of darkness take their flight. I saw the morning break. He never lived to see the morning break, but he went into this war quite confident of where he stood in the scheme of this battle, quite confident that although the daily activities of his life as a soldier were engage him uh, with an enemy that was bringing a darkness over Asia and the Pacific, and regardless of the circumstances of his life, the outcome was most assured. And he wanted to have his heart and mind prepared to look at what was before him with fearless eyes, not to be so distracted with the activity, but rather to stay focused on the big picture, which is there'll only be one outcome to this battle. And he references God, so he obviously understands that live or die, freedom's crowning hour will be when the powers of darkness take their flight and he saw the morning break. Now, I love the way he says, to look beyond the tragedy of a world at strife, are we living in a world of strife? We're living in a world of strife. It's a different sort of strife to 1943, 44, 45. 
but it's just as pernicious. It eats away at the very fabric of our society. It gets into the hearts and minds of our little children as early as primary school. People are being slaughtered on the ideologies, the altars of these ideologies, idle ideologies. There's a battle raging. And we can tell ourselves that we've got every cause to bemoan what's going on in the world. We can read 1 Timothy chapter 4, Knowest thou not that in the last days perilous times shall come when men shall be lovers of their own selves, haters, abusers, fears, violent, betrayers, unmerciful, implacable. And we can read these scriptures and we can, we can feel to ourselves, well, we're living in troubled times, these are difficult times. And we can let that come across in our conversation. I remember many years ago a brother got up to do communion and he got up and he, he told us about some archbishop somewhere who somehow got involved in adultery and I'm pulling my hair out and I want to jump up in the meeting and I probably should have but it would have been a bit undignified. What are you doing? This is our communion. There's no room for darkness in here. I want to hear about your archbishop. Let alone his practices. I want to hear about my fellowship with Jesus Christ and with my brothers and sisters. I want to hear about the dawning of the light. I don't care about the state of the world when I'm here at communion. I don't care about the state of the world when I'm in my home. My home is my sanctuary. And I guard that sanctuary with what comes into it. Any of you been invited in lately? (laughs) He says, rejoice. Rejoice. Don't bemoan it. Don't be shocked. The, The reason the scripture is given to us is exactly that, so that we be not shocked. We can go, well, it's written. But here's here's the next bit of this poem, that God hath given you the priceless dower. Now, a dower is like what, what a man leaves to his wife. So a man dies, but he leaves everything his wife needs for her provision for the rest of her life, a dower. God hath given you the priceless dower to live in these great times and have your part in freedom's crowning hour. Folks, we're not here in the year 2022 because of some biological accident or some genetic breakdown in the genetic code of the human race, although in some of you I might think that could be possible. We're here because God had his finger on us, he had his mind on us back there, right back there in Eden, certainly at Calvary, and he waited, he waited for this moment to bring us into the great plan of God so that we might play our part. What a privilege. And we can be overwhelmed with the darkness or the the forces of darkness at times, and we completely forget where our focus should be. Look up. So many saints have so much difficulty and so much disappointment and so much unhappiness because they spend too much time looking down, not up. When Israel was in serious trouble in the wilderness with their own stupid sin, God said, build a serpent on a pole and tell them to look up. And when you look up, you're delivered every single time. We've been given the chance to play a part in what's happening in the world today. We've been given a chance to play a part in something that is high in the heavens 
It's our heritage to take it or leave it on the table. It's up to us. And to be able to tell our sons and daughters, I saw the powers of darkness take their flight. I saw the morning break. In Ezekiel chapter 21, there's this beautiful little verse that says, Sigh with the breaking of thy loins, put it in plain speak, groan, groan bitterly as if your heart would break as they, people caught up, watch on. In Revelations, we're told in chapter 12, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he had but a short time. Who here really gets it? This story only has one ending and we've been called to play a part in that story. We're not expected to be giants. We're expected to be ordinary people with an extraordinary gift capable of having a humbling, beneficial, hope-filled influence on the persons next to us. It's that simple. People who are not so tangled up in the battle that we've lost our focus on the victory. That poem, by the way, was called Victory. Victory. You know, in um, yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Verse 13, Paul is talking about himself. Maybe we should read 12 and 13. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now you can put those words in your own mouth. Each of us has been put into the ministry, young and old, male and female who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious or injurious, but I obtained mercy. Now he says something intriguing to me because I did it in ignorant. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And I'm thinking, is he doing a cop out on us here? I don't think so. I don't think that's Paul's style. I don't think he's one to cop out. I think he's stating a simple truth. That when he was acting on behalf of the forces of darkness, now remember in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I think, for we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities, etc. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We don't have an argument with humans. Humans who may have an argument with what we uphold, with the hope that we declare, with the gospel, the good news that we preach. They're ignorant. They're ignorant that there's a battle raging. The victory's already been won. The battle's already been lost by <laughs> Satan. And the lie has already been exposed. And that means that all lies get exposed. That there's so many ideological lies doing the round today. They won't last. They never do. They will be exposed. Should the Lord tarry, they will be exposed. And then, you know, there'll be some sort of revival in society, I suppose, and then there'll be another another assault, another change of tact. But they always die because only the truth can endure. That's the parable of the rock 
and the, and the sand. Okay. So Paul's saying, well, I was ignorant. Now in Acts chapter 3, similar concept where Peter's uh, preaching and in verse 17 he says, and now, brethren, I what that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. Now they're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So it's not a bad idea for us to remind ourselves from time to time of exactly what's really going on in the world today. We can be overwhelmed because we bring so much of worldly news to our machines. Do you know that? I only found this out. This is how primitive I am. But there is a, a, a fair income, real objective to turn this thing into part of your body. Like, you know, when I say part of your body, it's always in your hand. It's your so much so that it's connected to the world, you know. Have you ever been sitting with... I'm digressing now. It's my favourite. Bang, I'm going to have a bang on something. Have you ever sat with somebody over lunch or morning tea and they put that there and they're talking to you and, you know, or ding, or, huh? Make them pay for lunch. And if they do it twice, leave and leave them with the bill. And before you leave, order up double. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. Praise the Lord. But people are ignorant. They've got no idea what's really going on. We can't allow our compassion to be twisted into indignation. We've got to understand what this young soldier understood when he got hold of this poem or whether he wrote this poem, I've, I've no idea. But he understood He understood what he was signing on for. He had no doubt about the out, ultimate outcome. He had no assurance about his physical destiny. Like many young Australian and many other young men from all over the world, they lost their lives and women. But he lost his life in the knowledge that he was part of something that was bigger than the moment. So, you know, I, I know this from, from my own father, that from the first moment of contact with the Imperial Japanese forces, our forces were on the run. Like it just wasn't a happy story. It was just like, oh, we're in retreat, full belt, straight away. And they just motored south to try and, you know, try and, Get to freedom. That was the objective. Try to slow things down and get to freedom. And they could have lost any hope of the future because the moment didn't seem to be, well, it wasn't going very well. One of his supposedly consoling letters back to his wife, my mother, was this. Oh, don't worry about us, darling. The biggest risk we have is the bombs, and thank goodness they're lousy shots. And I'm like, she's supposed to interpret this as a comforting, comforting? Whoa, this man's got something wrong with him, you know. And then, but in any case, I've just been 
appointed the burial officer. So I worked it out. I got to put all these guys in the grave before I'm allowed to have my number come up, and that's why I've appointed myself the burial officer here, by the way. What I'm getting at is these men and women, they knew they were involved in something that was very difficult, very challenging, very threatening, but they had a vision above the horizon. They understood that if we don't look up, we will be swallowed up. And so they refused to be stuck in the melee of the activity of the daily events which weren't good. They looked up. They looked, you know, in Colossians we read, set your affections on things which are above, not on the things which are, are below. And there's good reason for that. Because when we look up, you know, as it says here, high in the heavens we will see the powers of darkness take their flight. We will see the morning break. Let's turn to Second Peter chapter 1. And sort of, so why would I, why would I like this poem so much? I don't know whether you like it, but I love it. And I think because it speaks to me of joy in what were very dark times, it speaks to me of real people finding joy and God was in their thinking. I've no idea whether this young man was ever baptised in the Holy Ghost or not, but he had a vision. And it speaks to us of hope. Now, I think there's a scripture in Romans that talks about you know, hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? And and hope and joy, they're like our rocket fuel. They're the things that propel us. I'd like to say there's no such thing as a miserable Christian. I'd like all the people to be able to say amen to that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that any of us are immune from, you know, having a bad day, that's, that's normal. But I am saying there's no such thing as a miserable Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian. Well, there should be no such thing. But unfortunately, as Hosea said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. There is such a thing. There can be such a thing as a Christian that's missing the opportunity of life because of the lack of the knowledge, of, firstly, of God's will and secondly, of his or her part in God's plan. And it might be a small part, but to have a small part in the kingdom of heaven is a really good thing. Now, I think it was David who wrote, what did he say? I'd rather be a doorman in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And I've amended that. I'll be happy to be a doormat as long as on the right side of the house of the Lord, you know. Like just be there. Just be there, be the cupbearer, be the baker, be the butcher, be anybody. If you're in the house of the Lord, you've got a role to play, well, it's hallelujah time. Well, we've got a role to play. We've got a role to play in these great times. Like these are, I mean, does our joy depend on how soon the Lord's going to come back and rescue us? I hope not. I hope not. I hope our joy rests in knowing that these are troubled times and, and we've been given the wonderful opportunity to play our part in these times. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, verse 19, not verse 9, here it is, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn. And the day star arise in your hearts. Firstly, folks, don't ever be under any doubt that the day's going to dawn. 
There's only one outcome to this global story that's happening at the moment, and it's a good outcome. Amen? But in order for me to see that day, it's important that I see the day approaching. It's like the prophet Jeremiah in the darkest days of the children of Judah, and he cried out in that wonderful psalm, song, song prayer, my bowels, my bowels, my heart is pained within me. I am moved at the very heart, for thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet. Thou hast heard the sound of war. He could see it coming. He could smell it coming. But it gave him hope because he knew that God would be with them that looked up. And he was with Jeremiah, taken away as a captive for 70 years. So No, he wasn't. His friend Ezekiel was and Daniel was. But he was given a role to play. What to him would have been like a... I reckon a second-rate role, look after the girls, look after the daughters of the king. Oh, can't I look after the sons like they're the ones the crown goes to? No, you just look after the daughters. And that was his job. And the rest is history. What's important is not whether the Lord comes and rescues us from a dire situation. We don't need that. We need to play our part. And in order to play our part, as it says there, that the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, first thing that happens is the day star arise in your heart and mind. And when that happens, like this young man that took this poem into battle, we will spend more of our time looking up, energised by hope and joy and therefore more able to deal with the encumbrances and the difficulties of this life. Amen. Amen.